invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Last week we began a series through this letter uh, from the Apostle Paul to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of the church in Ephesus, and so this letter is one of the pastoral epistles, and it teaches us about the church. Uh, Many of us have come into the Reformed faith uh, likely because of our love for God's sovereignty and our salvation. And we think of the Reformed uh, biblical um, uh, uh, teaching on salvation. But um, one of the most beautiful things about the Reformed Church is its biblical understanding of the church. And in many ways, when we come into the Reformed Church, it's sort of like a gem that's just hidden under our noses. And as we come to live within and and, um, have fellowship within the life of the church, we find uh, the joys of a Reformed, which is to say a biblical conception of the church. And that's given to us and depicted for us here in 2 Timothy, uh, along with other letters, but especially here as Paul is writing uh, to Timothy in Ephesus. And so we've been thinking about uh, the theme of the glorious body of Christ and the glory that belongs to the church. And today, as we think about verses 8 through 13 of chapter 1, we're going to be thinking about the perspective and the purpose that Paul gives to Timothy and uh, by extension to us as members of the church, purpose and perspective. Let's begin reading at verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of, of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So far from God's holy word, let's pray that he might bless this word to us. Father, we ask that you might, by uh, the power of the Spirit of Christ, impress the truth of this word upon our hearts. That we might see uh, the beautiful perspective that Paul lays out for us of your triune work from uh, eternity past into the day of Christ's return in the future. Help us to situate ourselves within the story of your wonderful work of grace and of salvation. And we pray that as we think upon this word, Christ, our King, our head, would be exalted and that we would look to him by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, uh, my wife Susanna and I and our son Daniel got away uh, to Vermont to see the changing leaves. Uh, Instagram uh, won my wife over and got her to want to go see the leaves. And so we drove up to Vermont, and while we were up there, uh, there was a mountain. Not that you could, well, you could walk it, but we also could just simply drive up it. And so um, when we got um, out of the, the inn we were staying in, um, outside it was dark and gloomy. It was a really um, kind of miserable-looking day. Um, and um, we're driving through, and we get to this mountain. We begin driving up uh, this mountain, 
And as we were ascending this mountain in a car that's not made for a mountain, but more for the city, um, we're going up, and thankfully we made it up. But as we're going up, the, uh, the gloom and the darkness all of a sudden disappears, and you kind of get above it as you reach the summit of the mountain. As you look out from the top of the mountain, um, you can see the clouds and the fog and everything down below. Meanwhile, you're standing upward um, high above it uh, with a new perspective on the gloom and the doom down below. And perspective can often be a powerful thing in the life of God's people, right? In the midst of darkness and gloom, you can feel yourself dark and gloom. You can feel uh, the weight of a difficult and hard situation. But being able to sort of get above that, not to live outside of it, but to get a different perspective on it, can be very powerful and very helpful for us. Well, the Apostle Paul here in 2 Timothy calls Timothy to a difficult life. Right? He says to Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, Paul loved Timothy. Right? Read the beginning of this letter. He calls him my beloved child. Right? Right? Paul had great affection for Timothy, and yet he calls Timothy to suffer. Imagine yourselves, right, to your own children, I want you to suffer, to share in suffering. What, a, what, a, what a, an exhortation. And, and how, really the question becomes, how can Paul give Timothy such an exhortation? How can Paul, with such love for Timothy, call him to share in suffering? Wouldn't Paul instead want Timothy to avoid suffering? Wouldn't Paul want Timothy to have a comfortable life and to have an easy life and to have a life in which he's not suffering? But rather, Paul calls Timothy to suffer because Paul called Timothy to live for what was right and what was true. You see, in our day, we've lost a sense of truth. We've lost a sense of, of right and wrong. And with losing a sense of objective truth, we've also lost the idea of suffering for something, right? Life becomes simply, because there's nothing that's real and true, because there's nothing objective worth pursuing, well, then life simply becomes something that I, that I seek ease and I seek comfort. But if we have truth and if we have what's right and we have an objective thing, then if that thing is all glorious and if that thing is all important, if that thing is indeed what we're to live for, then Paul saw that, that what Timothy needed was not a comfortable life, but to hold fast to that truth, even though it would bring suffering him. You see, the loss of objective truth also brings with the loss of a sense of being willing to sacrifice for something. But here, Timothy is exhorted by Paul to suffer for the gospel by the power of God. Because Paul believed and wanted Timothy to believe that the gospel indeed was true. And therefore, it was worth living for, it was worth suffering for, it was worth dying for. And so too, to the church today, the gospel that we have received, handed down from Paul to Timothy, as we're going to see in later sermons, entrusted to faithful men, continue to be proclaimed today. That very gospel, Paul wants us to see, is worth living for, is worth suffering for, is worth dying for, because it is true. The gospel is indeed teaches us the objective reality 
of the work of Jesus Christ in saving sinners in his death and his resurrection. Suffer for the gospel by the power of God. And so as we think about this exhortation to Timothy and by extension to us, I want us to think about two points. Uh, First, the church's perspective. And then secondly, the church's purpose. The church's perspective and the church's purpose. And in many ways, this, these verses here from verse 8 to verse 12 provides us with a grand panorama of God's work from eternity past to the day of Christ's return, which will usher in the day of eternity. You see, Paul, as he calls Timothy to suffer, as we think about our first point, this perspective, Paul wants Timothy to have such a perspective that he sees his life and his calling and his responsibility to preach the gospel, not in an isolated way, but as part of a grand story that God is working out in history. Paul doesn't want us to see ourselves isolated. He doesn't want the church to think of itself as something that just came on the scene now and when we're gone, it'll be, it'll be over. No, Paul wants the church to see herself as part of a grand story of God's wonderful work of redemption and salvation, a work that reaches to eternity past in the ages and before the ages began to the day of Christ's return. Timothy is found between that. We're found between that. And within that, we have a certain responsibility And it gives us a certain perspective then on our calling today to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice this perspective. Paul says in verse, uh, the end of verse 9, regarding the um, purpose and the calling that God gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then he goes on to say, in verse, um, verse 12, Paul says, I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day, which is the day of Christ's return, what has been entrusted to me. So if you pull back, right, you see Paul is speaking about the story of God's redemption that begins before the ages began until the day of Christ's return. This is, again, that grand sweeping panorama of the work of God that gives us a perspective on our lives and what we're called to do in between it. We're not to think of ourselves as simply isolated or on our own or individualistically, but rather as part of this grand story. And at the heart of this story that reaches from before the ages began until the day of Christ's return is the gracious work of God. Because as Paul recounts all of this, he reminds us of what God has done for us, right? Verse 9, speaking of God the Father, says that he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The salvation of the church is not something that simply originated in time and in history, but before the ages began, God determined to save a people fallen in sin. God determined to save us in our salvation because God determined it, and what God determines must come to pass. Paul can say God saved us before the ages began. The salvation that God works begins there. And he called us in history to a a holy calling. He called us to himself to walk in his ways, to be devoted to him. 
And this he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So God saving us in Christ Jesus before the ages began is the starting point as Paul wants Timothy to gain a certain perspective on his life. He goes on to say, though, not just thinking in terms of what took place before the ages began, but then within time itself. He speaks there in verse 10, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, right? The one in whom God determined to save us appeared. He came. He entered history. He lived. He was and walked among us. And as he walked among us, as he appeared, he accomplished our salvation. Notice the wonder of what Jesus accomplished. What Jesus accomplished, no other could do. Right? As God saved us, he saved us in Christ, and Christ did what no other could do, what none of us could accomplish. It says in the middle of verse 10, he abolished death. What kind of strength, what kind of power belongs to one who could abolish death? The very thing under which God's people languished, under which we felt its power and its struggle, Christ came and abolished death. And he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Death abolished. Light and immortality, or life and immortality brought to light. This is what Jesus has accomplished within history. Now, there's some dissonance here, right? Because you might ask the question, well, if Jesus came and abolished death, and he brought light, life and immortality to light, and, and if he's at the heart of the gospel, why then must one suffer for that, right? If death has been removed and abolished, why then must one suffer? Right? There, there's some dissonance here, even to the life of the church, right? If the church possesses the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is alive as the one who has conquered death and sin, why then must the church suffer? Why must Paul suffer, right? Paul goes on to say, I was appointed a preacher and apostle of this message, which is why I suffer as I do. And he says to Timothy, share in suffering for the gospel. And the church today is called to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. The reason is because as we receive the gospel, we receive Jesus Christ. And to receive Jesus Christ means that our lives are conformed to his and as he entered into glory through suffering, so too the church, as it holds fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, shows that in dying we have true life, that in our weakness we are indeed strong. You see, the wisdom of the gospel overturns the wisdom of this world. It reminds us that the way to glory is not the way up, but the way down. The way to glory is through the cross. And as we hold fast to that gospel, we know, because we gain this perspective, that though we suffer, yet we will live. Right? Paul goes on to say this, we'll see this in later weeks, but notice what he says in verse 11 of chapter 2. He says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Right? The link between those statements, right? if we died, we will live, if we endure, we will reign, the link between them, the guarantee between them, is Jesus Christ, 
who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life. It is this power, the power of the gospel, that is at work in his church. And that power is seen as the church endures that it might reign, as it dies that it might live. And in this way, the glory that belongs to the church and the power that belongs to the church is one that the world cannot see. But we see by faith. We see as we trust God's word and as we, our eyes are fixed upon Jesus Christ. Because Paul goes on to say that suffering, right, within the context of holding fast to this gospel, suffering is not the end for God's people. He goes on to say, I know whom I have believed. He has believed in Jesus Christ. He has trusted in him. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul sees the transition from suffering to glory on the day of Christ's return. So this is the, 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 the panorama, the broad sweeping perspective that Paul situates the command to suffer for the gospel. Beginning before the ages began, reaching until the day of Christ's return. And like Timothy, we ought to see ourselves Within that, um, within that story of God's grace. As God has saved us from before the ages and Christ will come and bring us into life everlasting when he comes again. All of this, Timothy is to hold fast to. And this is the perspective that we ought to have. And with that perspective, we then begin to see our purpose, right? If that's the story, right? from what has happened in eternity past to what will happen on the day of Christ and our calling today, if that's the story, well, then the purpose of the church is found in verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. Right? These words may lead you and will likely lead you into suffering. Holding fast to these words will not be an easy life, Paul's telling Timothy. But these words are sound. These words are true. These words are right. And therefore, what is best for you is not to seek an easy life apart from these words, but for your purpose is to hold fast to these words because it is right, true, and good. Follow the pattern of sound words. There are indeed words that are sound and words that are unsound. And these sound words are words that Timothy has heard from Paul as an apostle who spoke with the authority of Jesus Christ. And so too the church today, so too Messiah's Reformed Fellowship, our calling today, our purpose today, is to follow the pattern of the sound words that has been handed down from Paul to Timothy and now even has come to us as it's contained within God's words. We've said this last week, but at the heart of the church, right, the energizing core of the church is the word of God. Right, the church can be involved with a number of different things. The church can be involved and ought to be involved in showing mercy to this world in, in, in a host of different ways. But the church is powerless and useless if it has abandoned the word and specifically the pattern of sound words that has been given and entrusted to us. But as we follow the pattern of sound words, the church is indeed a force in this world. 
As we follow the pattern of sound words, the church indeed possesses a great power. And so to our purpose then is not for us to abandon the word and simply adopt the culture, but for us to hold fast to sound words in an unsound world and to provide a haven of rest for a weary world. And so often the world wants to take the words from the culture around us, right? We want to say what the world's saying. We want to just just simply just be a, a part of the culture. But the church becomes a haven of rest when it provides words that are not heard anywhere else in the world. And indeed, the church, we possess a message, a gospel, good news that cannot be heard anywhere else. Not just Messiah's Reformed Fellowship, but any faithful church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's that pattern of sound words that we ought to hold fast to. And we ought to proclaim and we ought to invite the world in to hear, to hear of Jesus Christ, to hear that he has indeed abolished death, that he has brought life and immortality to life through his death and his resurrection. And as we go about this purpose of following the pattern of sound words, Paul reminds us of this great comfort that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us will guard the good deposit entrusted to us, right? As Christ rules us by his word and his spirit. It is by his spirit that he guards the good deposit. That yes, we may suffer. And yes, as Paul is going to tell Timothy later in this letter, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer, will be persecuted. But Christ has not left us to suffer on our own. And in our own strength, but rather he guards us by the power of his spirit who dwells within us. The spirit maintains and keeps God's church as we hold fast to the pattern of truth that he has given to us. And therefore, as we think about Paul, as he writes to the church, we're reminded then of the church's perspective. As we see ourselves situated within the story of God's grand work of redemption from the ages, before the ages began until the day of Christ's return. And within that context, we have a calling, a responsibility, a purpose. Not for us to determine for ourselves, but one handed down to us. Follow the pattern of sound words. And may those words then, as we follow them, may it be a light in this world and in this city leading people out of an unsound world into the sound words that come only from Jesus Christ. And until the day of Christ's return, we are called to that very purpose, each of us individually, but together as the body of Christ, as we with one another hold fast to these words. And with one another, we um, encourage each other uh, towards this end. You know, our deep love for one another may want us to, to desire an easy life, but really, as we hold fast to what is objective and what is right and what is true, like Paul encouraging Timothy, so too we encourage one another to suffer if we are called to do so for the gospel. Not that we ought to look for it and seek out suffering for suffering's sake, but as we hold fast to the gospel and as it comes, so too we endure and we hold fast to the word of God. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That is the great promise that the church possesses. 
And that is our purpose then in this life, to endure, to die with Christ, that we might live with him and reign with him forevermore. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that this word is true and this word is right. Father, we live in a, in a world in which there are lies and deceptions, um, many unsound words. And yet, Father, we thank you that in the midst of it all, we have your word preserved for us, kept for us, handed down even to us. And so, Father, as we think upon the wonderful work of redemption as it reaches from eternity past to eternity uh, future, and we think about ourselves within the context of that story, may we too suffer for the gospel if you so call us, and may we hold fast and follow the pattern of sound words that we have received Words that point us to Christ and remind us of the great power that belongs to him who lived, who died, and who rose again. The one who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. May we follow him wherever that may lead us. And we, we trust that he is with us even as he dwells in us by his spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.